And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Paul in Romans 3, 9 through 20, pretty much makes it clear about who we are against a, a holy God. Uh, the song that, that we just sang is very appropriate. And one thing I, I appreciate about Sarah, um, I know I'm going to lift the curtain behind how a, a lot of what we do works around here. But Sarah uh, is told basically what the trajectory of what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks and months. And then the songs that she uh, selects all are around the message that's going to be that morning. Uh, the reason why is to make sure that everything that we do when we come in here is preparing us to hear the Word of God. Um, and so, uh, uh, appropriate song, and, 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 and if you uh, want to, you know, tell the future, you can look ahead and see what's going to happen for the invitation today and see that it is also uh, very appropriate. Uh, we're, we're in Romans chapter 3. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, Dave is highly upset that I am preaching this passage and, and in fact, uh, tried to get me to do something else. Uh, the reason why is because Romans chapter 1 and 2 leads up to this passage we're here today. This is really the crescendo of Paul's entire argument that he's been ma making since Romans chapter 1. And so I made fun of him. I said, yeah, you're probably rethinking the fact that you had that Gideon speaker that one day, just so that way you made sure to take this passage passage last week, uh, and, and, and you would have it for yourself. But instead, um, I, I get the, the spoils of war, if you will. Uh, I, I get the fun passage. And really, this passage is not difficult at all. The passage is not difficult at all. Paul, Paul's argument here is just this, that no one is righteous except God. Not a single individual on this earth is righteous. Both groups, both Jew and Gentile, are unrighteous before a good and holy God. We have Romans chapter 1, which Paul goes into uh, really the law of nature and how God reveals himself through the general revelation that is the created order, through, uh, through just looking at how everything is on this earth and how the Gentiles are guilty still of sin, uh, despite not having the specifics of the law. Then he goes into Romans chapter 2. And, 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 and by the way, you can imagine like reading Romans chapter 1, right? He's bringing up all these arguments that many Jews brought up against the Gentiles uh, and, and probably hearing them in the background going, yeah, Paul, go get them. You know, go after them. Hit that hard. And then Romans chapter 2 comes up and Paul just hits on the fact that the Jews have the law and yet they fail to obey obey the law. Instead, they try to justify themselves by it. And in the background, you can kind of hear the Jews immediately go, oh, <laughs> because the magnifying glass has been turned onto them. And really, we see uh, that their knowledge of the law only magnifies their guiltiness under it. 
And so now we get to chapter 3, uh, where, where Paul, at the beginning, like Dave was talking about last week, kind of brings up a few objections that would pop up, and he rebuts them. Really, this is a continuation of that section. Uh, but the reason why we have to spend time in this passage today and really break it open is because we are liars, we are liars, and let's face it, the people we lie uh, to, uh, to most often is ourselves. We are very good at excusing our own sin by justifying our actions, and yet what we fail to recognize is the depravity of our heart and our need for a good and holy God. And so as we look at this passage today, we must understand that no one is righteous apart from God. Not a single person is righteous apart from God. And so um, I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. I, I went and saw Miss uh, uh, Mary uh, Durden at the hospital on Friday. Uh, and I walked into the room and, and she said, I'm glad to see you here, Tyler, but I don't have any good jokes for you. And I said, well, Miss Mary, the problem with me is that I have plenty of jokes, but I've been told that they're not good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, the, and the truth of the matter is, is that this passage is not really one uh, that, that brings up naturally humor. And so there won't be a lot of humor in this passage today. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of brokenness that we're going to talk about in this passage. And we must, unlike the Jews of this time, place the magnifying glass on ourselves. And say, where do I stand before a good and holy God? And so this, the, the message today, we're going to be spending some time in here. Um, but we're also going to be spending some time on an application of what we as a church uh, can be doing with something that's going on uh, right now. So I'm just going to tease that uh, for later. So, no one is righteous. We begin in verse 9, where Paul says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, under, uh, are under sin. In other words, being a Gentile, being a Greek, not knowing the law, being ignorant of the law, does not excuse us from our knowledge of sin, nor does the knowledge of the law excuse us from sin in that we know the law and know what we should be doing. And let's face it, our culture, while we are more, we're, we're really more Greek in this passage, uh, our culture, especially in the county and the area that we live in, probably can identify more with the, the Jewish thought of this time. Uh, the reason why I say that is, uh, let's face it, who here in the past week has had bacon for breakfast? Well, then let me just tell you this. You are Greek <laughs> because you would not be Jewish uh, for that. Yeah, everybody's like, thank you, Peter, for getting that vision of being able to eat bacon. Um, uh, in fact, I had a, actually, here's the one joke. Uh, I've worked with a... <laughs> I worked with a, uh, a Muslim girl uh, when I was working at Walmart up in North Carolina while I was in seminary. And we were sit down, and we, me and her had a lot of discussions over the Quran and the Bible and, and, uh, and over Muhammad and, and all this enough and who Jesus was. Uh, but one thing she came up to me one day and said, Tyler, can you tell me something? I said, sure. She said, what does bacon taste like? <laughs> 
She said, I hear y'all talk about it so much. What, is it, what does it taste like? And I said, I got to be honest with you. This is going to sound really weird, but it's the only way I could think about it. Have you ever had candy? And she said, yeah. And I said, now imagine candy, but with meat. <laughs> and that is bacon. Um, but yeah, so while, cult, while we really should identify with the Greeks here because we have not been under a specific covenant relationship uh, as a people group, uh, we have had Scripture uh, throughout our culture, especially down here in the Bible Belt. We, we grow up with Scripture. Scripture's everywhere. Pretty much every house has a Bible, whether it be a full-fledged Bible or at least a Gideon pocket edition, if you will. And, and so the Scripture has been ingrained in, in most parts of our, uh, our society down here to where we pretty much know what Scripture says, and more importantly, uh, we know how to refute people when they come to us to expose our sin. The, the fact is, is that the law cannot save us. And so we here, as First Baptists, as a people who have the Word of God before us, must understand that knowledge of the Word of God cannot save you. It absolutely cannot. And not only that, Paul will later go into the fact that just because you practice one aspect of the law does not save you. And so we get to verse 10, and, and, and so you, you hear probably the objection coming up of what does Paul know? Now, granted, Paul was a, an authority on Scripture. He was a Pharisee. He was trained by uh, Gamaliel, uh, the, probably the greatest Pharisee of his time. This, was, this would be uh, the highest of high authority on the Word of God, on, on the Torah, uh, the Old Testament. Uh, but yet, you know, whenever you're confronted with your sin, what's your first question you bring up. Well, what does this man have to say? He is merely a man. And so what's interesting about this, the rest of this argument is Paul does not argue based off his own words. Instead, he, he turns to the scripture that he says determines or that shows you that you are not righteous. And so the rest of this passage is pretty much Paul quoting from uh, Psalm 14, Psalm 51, and others to say that not a single person is righteous. Because let's face it, that is our hard problem. That is, that is difficult. We, we love to declare ourselves to be righteous, and yet what we find time and time again is that Scripture exposes our depravity and our need for a Savior. And so we get into verse 10, and he says, you're right there at the top, none is righteous. No, not one. You know, this is, there, there's no one that can be excused from this fact. There is not a single person on this earth, apart from God, that is righteous. And you could probably, and, and probably as, as many of you uh, right now are thinking, you know, your hairs are kind of standing back up, kind of getting mad with this, and you, and you should. This should anger you. This should, this should break you. Because we were created to be in a relationship with God, and yet we have failed. It seems that sin that we found that, that came into humanity in Genesis chapter 3 has fully infected our species. And, so, and not just our species, but the entire created order. And so he sits here and he says, no one is righteous, no, not one. He continues into verses 11 and 12. He says, no one understands and no one seeks God. 
All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And now you might sit here and say, well, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right. What do you mean no one understands and no one seeks God? Well, the truth is, is that no one truly seeks God. No one truly seeks God. And this might seem contrary to your own thought or experience. Surely you sought out God and found him. If you are a Christian, it's, it's probably what most of us think. But with us, seeking God would mean one of two things. That one, we are not totally corrupt. And two, that we ourselves played a role in our own salvation. You see, Paul says here in verse 12 that not one person does good. All of our actions are sinful. As Isaiah says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Even when we try to do good, it is still tainted by sin. While we might give to the poor, part of us might be seeking a feeling of satisfaction to fill our ego by telling us that we have done the good deed for that time. Uh, whenever uh, I was growing up, a common phrase in my family was, I've done my good deed for the month when dealing with a difficult person. Uh, probably some of you have had, had something similar uh, that was stated. Um, you ever discipline your child? And part of you did so because of unrighteous anger. Even a good action tainted by a small amount of sin condemns us. Our mark, we must remember, is not just a general idea of good. Our mark is perfection. We are called to be perfect. And yet, every good action that we do is still tainted by that sin that entered into the world in Genesis chapter 3. You see, our mark is perfection, and nothing we can do can overcome the failure to achieve the mark set by the law. Uh, and number two, we do not seek out God. Now, this is normally the one that everybody has a hard time with. Uh, however, think of your own salvation experience. You did not all of a sudden decide to find God. There was a time in which you realized the weight of your sin. In John chapter 17, as, as we mentioned in Sunday school, if you're in Sunday school this morning, you, you read this, that one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. Indeed, it is God who initiates salvation for us. He is the one who calls us to repentance. Most of the time, whenever we seek out God, we do not seek out God, we seek out our own self-righteousness, right? It's, it's putting God in our understanding. The, right now in our culture, we're very big on syncretism. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the famous country music uh, star, uh, Reba McIntyre, uh, back in the early 2000s, said that, quote, I am a Christian, but I do believe in reincarnation because I want to think that I can come back later and, and, and do right. And the fact is, is that those two ideas do not reconcile together. Not only that, the idea of, of reincarnation, the idea that you will die and then uh, you can come back in the next life, that does not line up with Scripture, 
As a matter of fact, when Scripture says, what Paul says is that uh, to be uh, away from the body is to be present with the Lord. In other words, as soon as you die, you, you no longer have another life to live here on earth. But yet, how many times in our own culture do we see people try to bring stuff in? As a matter of fact, what many try to do is say that uh, Christianity is actually just one way to God. And that uh, God is on top of this mountaintop. And that, you know, there's one path that goes up, right? There's like the ADA accessible path that, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to go up. There's, there's no problem, right? It's, it's made for, for everybody and all persons to go up, right? And then there's, there's the people who, who perhaps want to do something a little difficult, maybe a little bit of rock climbing, you know, right? They have to use the, uh, the ropes and everything. But eventually all paths lead to God, and the truth of the matter is, is that every path apart from repentance and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way. It does lead somewhere, but it leads straight to our judgment, our conviction of our sin, and the punishment that is death. No one is truly, no one, no one is truly good and no one truly seeks out God. You know, instead, what we do is, as we said, we try to seek out our own self-justification. You know, right? To excuse what we see as the worst sin. You know, I'm overweight. I eat to suppress the stress that I try to carry on my own. You know, this is me trying to do something on my own power and not submitting it to the Lord. Perhaps someone in here struggles with pornography. You struggle with it because you do not know how to communicate your needs to your spouse. You drink so that you don't have to live in the world that you are in for a period of time. All of these, though trying to find true satisfaction in the end, are actually just examples of how deep our sinful, broken thoughts are. We try to justify the means with the end result However, the means miss the mark of perfection that we were set up for, and our ends will end up missing that mark as well. We cannot do anything on our own. It is God who must seek us. We are blind and cannot find our own way. Verses 13 through 14 here, Paul then turns the image. So, so we see that no one is righteous, right? We see that no one seeks God, no one truly understands. And now Paul probably, uh, or turns the camera to probably what is the most uh, recognizable symbol of our need for a, 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 a righteous God to save us, and that is our mouths. It says in verse 13, Their throat is an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. I went to Miss Kathy earlier um, because she was a dental hygienist, and I asked her just how bad the mouth of someone who had like tooth decay, teeth decay, you know, was. You know, how bad did it smell? And she said, there is a reason why we use masks. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because it stank. 
And the fact is, is that here Paul is, is quoting uh, psalms and saying that their throat, and notice how the psalmist here is describing the mouth of the unrighteous. Their mouth is an open grave. It leads to death. Their tongues, they use them to deceive. And notice their, uh, the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouths are vile. Their mouths destroy. Their mouths are deadly. And, and we, we can all remember uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, where Jesus says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, it's not that our, our mouths themselves are dying. It's that the heart inside that guides that mouth to speak is dead. It is unrighteous. And the action that naturally comes out is a dead mouth. One does, that does not speak the gospel to one another in love and encouragement, but yet seeks to destroy, seeks to kill the venom of asps is under their lips. Verse 15 through 18, he, he turns, he says, Their feet are swift to shed blood, and then their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. Notice that the very walk that they make is away from a good and holy God, and instead, instead of bringing encouragement and love and repentance, brings death and destruction. To shed blood, it says in verse 15. And then finally in verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. No one is righteous. Not a single person is righteous. And so Paul then concludes this section by saying, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world will be made accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You see, our knowledge of Scripture, our knowledge of the law, showcases our knowledge of sin. Especially we as members of First Baptist Church who have sat under uh, the, the proclamation of Scripture for years and years, we must understand that we are not excused. We have heard. We understand. We know so what do we do? What do we do? Well, this passage pretty much ends right here. Uh, I'm going to also rain on Dave's parade and say that I'm going to tell you what's coming up. And that is that this does not mean that you are without hope. You see, the hope that we have is not in ourselves, because just as Paul stated right here in this passage, we have no hope on our own. 
Instead, what we will see is that though our righteousness is as filthy rags, there is one that came with the righteousness of God, as verse 21 says, that the, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, the way we obtain righteousness is not on our own. Instead, righteousness was brought to us by a, a good and holy God that even though we deserve death and destruction and punishment, he saw us in our sin. He came to bring us rescue. He saw us resist that rescue, but yet continued to rescue us anyway. You see, God loves us so much that despite what we think is good for us, He came and saved us. You see, God is faithful even when we are faithless. And Paul, next week, sorry Dave, is going to tell us that how we obtain the salvation that we need is not by making sure that we follow all 600 plus works of the law, not making sure that we go in the created order, be environmentalist or something. It's not that. Instead, it is submission and repentance that can only come through Jesus Christ who, 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 who lived the perfect life that we were called to live, who, who died the death that was there for us and then three days later rose from the grave and then defeating death, he defeated sin and he welcomes us to join him with new life if we do two things, repent and submit. And so, my question for you today is this. What can we do as First Baptist Church in knowledge of this passage? Well, one, we must recognize that there is not salvation apart from God. There is not. There is no way. All paths do not lead to God. All paths apart from what Scripture lays out leads to death and destruction. But also we must understand that no one is righteous. And so I, I've been tasked to discuss with you something that has transpired. You've probably heard the news uh, as of late that there was a report that was brought forward back at the end of May uh, pertaining to sexual abuse within the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, before I continue, let me just say this. This was a, a task force report that was commissioned by the convention in order to basically expose what's been going on. There have been rumors since the early 2000s that this had transpired, um, and, and pretty much this was hidden away. Um, and, and the reason why we're doing this is because of just this. When you think of someone who is righteous, normally... People look at ministers. You look at me. You look at Dave. You look at the person behind this pulpit. And normally, we as, as individuals cling to the church for help. And, and this is not a mistaken uh, place to cling to help for. That's what we were created to do. We were created to be a place for the vulnerable, a place to seek answers, a place to seek refuge. Um, 
That has not always been the case. So for those of you who don't know, we are members of, uh, one, the Florida Baptist Association. This is a local group of churches, so like Lake Ellen, Sop Choppy Southern, uh, Grace Baptist, Wakulla Station. All of us pull together to do missions here within our area. Uh, so that's the association we're part of. We're also part of the Florida Baptist Convention. This is the, the state uh, group of associations that come together to do missions here within the state. Uh, believe it or not, uh, we're one of the only missionary organizations allowed into uh, Cuba, uh, which is pretty much closed off everywhere else. But the state of Florida, our convention, uh, has a great relationship with the Cuban government and is able to do missions there. So, so praise God for that. And then also to uh, the Southern, and then finally the Southern Baptist Convention. This is the, the national group of churches that come together in order to do missions and to train ministers. Uh, and to kind of give you an idea about like how much goes where, when you give uh, when you put money into the offering plate and you you, des- you designate it to your general tithe, you know, whatever, um, 10% of what comes out of uh, the plate goes directly to our association who then sends it to uh, the, con- uh, the state convention and the national convention. So uh, 50% of what the, uh, uh, the national convention receives goes straight to foreign missions. Uh, so 50.4, uh, 22.7, or 0.8, I guess you'd say if you round up, uh, goes to missions here directly within North America. Uh, 22.16 goes to the six seminaries. Uh, so I've, I've told you before, uh, I'm a product of the cooperative program and, and Southern Baptist Convention. Um, so uh, uh, thank you for your faithful giving because it helped me uh, take a lot off my bachelor's and master's uh, degrees so that way I can be here and be relatively debt-free. Um, based off that. Um, 1.65% goes to the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Pretty much if you hear a uh, Southern Baptist statement on a public policy initiative, this comes from them. They're our, kind of our, our political arm, if you will, uh, the, the ones that lobby uh, the government. And then 2.99% goes to the Executive Committee. And that's what this report is based off of, and you can see uh, just how uh, thick it is. Um, basically, back in 06... Uh, many were exposed to the story of Krista Brown, who was abused by a, a Baptist pastor. Uh, she went to the executive committee uh, to try to make known what happened to her, uh, and, and so that way they could warn churches about this person. Um, basically, what ended up happening is they not only just didn't listen to her, but they began to publicly call her an unreasonable person and began to degrade her character. Um, we've been asking since 06 to have like a database of people who were credibly accused of sexual abuse uh, to have their names put in so that way churches could refer back to them. Now when we say credibly accused, this is important. This is not just he said, she said. This is not just a, a one-off, hey, this happened and there's no evidence to go about it. Uh, credibly accused either means that they themselves have confessed sexual abuse, uh, that they were convicted in the court of law, or had a civil judgment rendered against them. Uh, also, it could mean that there is a preponderance of evidence. In other words, uh, the evidence shows that more than likely this happened, even though it didn't go as far as a, a legal setting. Um, 
And basically, this report shows uh, that those in high leadership positions and on staff with the executive committee not only knew about such individuals within our churches, uh, but then tried to suppress the knowledge of their actions to other churches. Um, They hid behind our polity of local church autonomy. This means that the convention cannot tell us what to do. Southern Baptist Convention can call us uh, tomorrow and say, hey, we want you to paint uh, the sanctuary Pepto-Bismol pink. And we are not obliged to do that. We tell them, no, thank you. Uh, please stop calling this number, if, you know, if it comes to that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, they have no authority uh, to do that. But this is basically what they hid behind. Because they do not have the authority to tell us what to do, they basically said there's nothing that we can do. Instead of making it known, not making it known as in public, but at least having some sort of database to where churches who were looking for pastors could call in and say, hey, is this person a known abuser? But not only that, we found out they actually did have a database of 700 plus names um, that they kept so that way they themselves would protect uh, the organization from being sued if it came time to it. Uh, This report also showed how several Southern Baptist figures, including Paige Patterson, uh, former First Baptist Church Jacksonville pastor Jerry Vines, uh, and others, uh, basically knew of credibly accused staff members, tried to silently push them aside, go to, tell them to go to a different church, vouch for them, saying that this didn't happen only for the abuse to take place again uh, at a new church. And, and, and be honest with you, the most shocking revelation uh, was that uh, one former Southern Baptist president, a man by the name of Johnny Hunt, uh, had been accused of sexual abuse, and, and basically the preponderance of evidence uh, shows that more than likely it, it did transpire. Um, and so I can tell you that Honestly, the past two, three weeks, if you've seen me, like, down and mopey, um, there's a reason for that. One, I, I've read the whole report, uh, and it's not a, it's not a fun read. Um, these, these revelations are troubling. They are very troubling. But I've got to be honest with you. I'm optimistic about the future of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, the reason why is because we have mechanisms in place for reform. Back in the 80s, uh, all six of our seminaries uh, and, 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 and pretty much those who were uh, taking charge of various entities uh, were highly liberal. Uh, they were saying things like, Scripture is not the Word of God. You can't believe everything Scripture has to say. And in fact, at Southeastern, the school that I came from, from a master's degree, uh, it was said in chapel one day that those who are in uh, habitual, unrepentant homosexual relationships uh, are our brothers in Christ, uh, which just goes against the entirety of Scripture. Um, Southern Baptists in the 80s then decided that they were going to take back the convention and did so through a thing called the Conservative Resurgence, to where now uh, all six seminaries are pretty much the the most conservative seminaries here in the United States. Um, And and not only that, but uh, we're the only uh, denomination, I mean, we say denomination, technically we're not a denomination, but, you know, to use that language, uh, that has gone from liberalism to conservatism. You've seen it in the Methodist church as of late, where the Methodist church is splitting because uh, those of the higher up have, that have control of the United Methodist Church are trying to take it in a liberal direction, rejection of sin, rejection of scripture. 
um, that, that, that we're the only one who ha- has been able to come back from it. And so I'm optimistic because the mechanisms are in place for us to bring reform. Uh, this will be a years-long endeavor to make sure that we treat survivors with respect and help churches protect the vulnerable uh, from those predators, those wolves that might try to come in and seek to destroy. Uh, and the question is, what does this report mean for us as First Baptist Church? One, we need to reflect on ourselves and make sure that we are a place of refuge for the vulnerable and not a trap for abusers. And what I mean by that is a trap that abusers come in and and take advantage. Uh, We must take steps to make sure that when a predator comes here, they are deterred. Uh, while I want to go into specifics, we're, we're still in the process of working with bylaws and, and other uh, groups on language. Uh, but know that it would involve uh, more background checks uh, on anyone working with students and children under the age of 18. Uh, and then also, too, we're going to be working on better security around our campus to make sure that there's not a place to hide, um, that this could take place. Uh, we will also be issuing procedures on how to report abuse, uh, which, by the way, long story short, called cops. Uh, there you are. That's pretty much it. And you might say, I, I was talking to Ms. Wanda about this the other day. Uh, she said, well, isn't that like something that we all would think to do? Like if we heard abuse, we would automatically call the cops. But let's face it, most of the time in, in these churches, the issue was not, hey, that weird person in the back has been accused. The issue has been that people behind the pulpit, people like myself have been accused, and you automatically think that cannot have happened. Uh, the fact is, is that you know, pe- predators have taken advantage of this. And we need to make sure that that does not happen. So if that ever happens, if you ever hear about that, call the police. You have my full permission right now. Call the cops because this cannot take place. Um, And also just think, we're having 2,600 homes built just right down the road. Um, Our community is growing. Uh, Predators go where they can feed easily. Uh, We need to make sure that we are a fortress to those who are seeking refuge and not a killing field. Uh, We also need to be better stewards within the organizations we are a part of. As I mentioned earlier, we're members of the Florida Baptist Association, the Florida Baptist Convention, Southern Baptist Convention. It's a mouthful. Um, And while we're active in our local association, uh, we need to be more active in our state and national conventions. Um, The way we do so is that we elect messengers to go to these meetings and vote. It is only at these meetings that change can take place. Southern Baptist Convention only exists for the two days that the convention meets and they vote on things to happen and then they leave. We need to make sure that we send people to vote. And to kind of give you an idea of just how uh, awesome the place that we are in, you know, as far as what we can do is, we are allowed to send nine messengers to the Florida Baptist Convention and 12 to the Southern Baptist Convention. That is the max amount of messengers, which means that we can send the same exact number of messengers as First Baptist Church of Crawfordville in a county of 32,000 uh, with, a, 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 with an attendance, regular attendance number of about 120 to 130 as First Baptist Church of Orlando. That is what kind of position we are in at First Baptist Church to help affect change. And to be honest with you, we need to do more. 
Now, the Florida Baptist Convention, it's, it's, a, it's easy to go to those because they're like here within the state, you know? So like the next one's in Pensacola. So anybody up for a four-hour drive, you can follow me in November because um, uh, I'll be going. Be honest with you, I was scheduled to go to the Southern Baptist Convention this year, uh, but then uh, my wife uh, turned out uh, we're pregnant. Don't know if you know that or not. Uh, and uh, she is due at the end of this month, yeah, with uh, the possibility of that child coming right smack dab in the middle of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, that's taking place the week after next. And so she told me I had to be here. Um, yeah, I know, right? Shocking, right? Yeah, can you believe that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I had the hotel booked and everything. Um, so, um, so, yeah. Uh, but we can send 12. Those are a lot harder. Uh, the next one, if I'm not mistaken, is in, uh, the next one's in New Orleans. So anybody wants some beignets, let's go next year. Um, but the year after that's in Indianapolis. So that one's a little bit more difficult for us because it is a longer ways away. However, change can only be affected by those who are in the room. And we need to be in the room. And I got to be honest with you, I, I was kind of nervous bringing this up. And the reason why is this. Plane tickets, hotel rooms cost money. Let's face it, we're not a rich county. But if we are going to be good stewards of our, of our finances, where we send everything, it involves us becoming more involved. We don't sit here in this church and on business meetings on Wednesday nights and because we don't necessarily understand something, just vote whatever comes in in. No, we take time, we, we research, we, we give it to committees, we, we make sure that when we say yes or no, it is our yes and no. And the only way that we're going to be able to affect change and to make sure that junk like this don't happen, or at least if it does, that it's really, really hard, is if we're in the room. And so church, I'm telling you, we need to be in the room. So, come towards November, uh, I will be placing my name as a messenger for the Florida Baptist Convention. If you would like to know more about that, please come join me. If some of you want to take a trip next summer and go visit Travis over in New Orleans and grab some good Cajun crawfish and beignets and also get into a, you know, a two-day business meeting, come talk to me as well because trust me when I say as long as my wife isn't pregnant next year, I will be going <laughs> to the Southern Baptist Convention. And to be honest with you, next year's in New Orleans. The year after that's in Indianapolis. I'm hoping to go to Indianapolis. I'm hoping to go to the one after that. 2026 is Orlando. Y'all know I love that place. So, uh, but let's as a church be in the room and affect change. And then last, and this is probably going to seem the most trivial, but yet this is probably the most important. We must pray. We must be a people of prayer. We need to pray, one, for us ourselves as a local congregation, that one, that God convicts us of sin, exposes where we fall short, and whenever we find out those areas that we fall short in, that we repent and that we make changes. We need to be praying for our state leaders. We need to be praying that, that when, when they are, are brought, are given attention to this, that they do the right thing. Same with our, our national organizations as well. We must be praying. We must be praying for our fellow churches. Guys, we are not in a bubble. You see, what we do here also affects what happens to Lake Ellen, 
what happens to Soptoppy Southern, what happens to Wakulla Springs Baptist, what ha- or Wakulla, yeah, Wakulla Springs Baptist, Wakulla Station Baptist, Grace Baptist Church, uh, Pioneer Baptist just right over there, Wakulla Gardens. It affects all of us just the same as if they have sin, it affects us too. We need to be in prayer for our local congregations. And guys, I cannot say this enough. I need prayer. I need prayer. Dave needs prayer. We need prayer. The battle is hard. And that idea of I'm going to try everything I do to suppress so that way it doesn't destroy, that is a hard, hard fence to jump over. It is the right fence to jump over, but it's a difficult one. Be in prayer for me. Be in prayer for Dave. Pray that, one, we seek the, do- the Lord daily, that we, we, we fall down, that we understand our brokenness, and that we cannot do this on our own, that we must submit before the Lord. Pray that, that when decisions come up, that we make the right decisions. Pray that, that everything would be to the Lord's will and to the Lord's honor and not be to my own ego. And finally, pray for one another. Pray for one another. We must be a church that prays for one another and not a church that builds walls and goes to war against one another. We must love one another well. And part of loving one another well is to seek forgiveness when we have done wrong. You know, just as we, Paul stated earlier, or just as I stated earlier, um, just because you were right in your conclusion does not mean that the means by which you came to that conclusion was righteous. We must understand that when we fault, we must ask for forgiveness from each other. We must seek forgiveness before the Lord. We must love one another. We must forgive one another. We must pray for one another. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, we come before you, Lord. We, we praise you. We honor you. We thank you for uh, allowing us to be here, Father. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would use the Holy Spirit to expose sin in our lives. Father, show us, remind us that we are unrighteous without you. Father, I pray that you would Stir the hearts of each individual in here, Father, to show just how truly we can better follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.